Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. Thank you so much, Brother Gary. Thank you, Janae. That, that is such an important song. It's important what we believe. I promise you, if you don't believe the right stuff, you'll end up in hell. And we got to know what we believe. I, I've met individuals uh, in my ministry, David, they'd say stuff like this. That, uh, you know, I, I believe Jesus is my Savior, but I just don't believe in all that doctrinal stuff and all that theology stuff. I, I just want to love Jesus. I just want to believe Jesus. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. If that's your philosophy and that's your theology and that's the doctrine that you hold after, then I question whether or not you truly receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Because you can't divorce Jesus from what you believe. You've got to believe something. And what we believe is so vitally important. And this morning I want to preach a message I've entitled God's Part and Man's Part in Salvation. Uh, in regards to what we believe, it's a basic foundational truth in a doctrine called soteriology. That is to say, the doctrine or the teachings of salvation. Uh, we're in, living in a society today where uh, there are two basic theological principles that kind of rise to the top concerning salvation. It's a principle that is it's held by individuals that call themselves Arminians... And then there's another from an individuals that they call themselves Calvinism or Calvinists. So you've got Arminianism and you've got Calvinism. What I want to s submit to you today is to reject Arminianism, to reject Calvinism, and to follow Jesusism. I want us to follow after what the Bible says, not follow after man. That's where we get in trouble today. You say, well, Calvin had some good things to say. Well, so does the Arminians. But we've got to be careful in what we believe, and we need to believe what the Bible says. And if it don't line up with the Bible, then it's wrong. And we're back, and we find ourselves back in Acts chapter number 13, and we're going to pick up in verse number 45. I know I've preached several messages from Acts chapter 13, because, and I've said this is a transitional chapter. This chapter is so important because it moves from, from Peter to Paul. God has been using Peter, and many Jews have been coming to faith, and a couple of Gentiles have been coming to faith. And now he's moving to Paul, and Paul is going to be used to see that the Gentiles come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, that whosoever will can be saved. And in this particular text, we find a section here, beginning in verse number 45 and running all the way down to verse number 45, that deals with the doctrine of soteriology, that deals with the teaching of salvation. And in regards to salvation, we see that there is God's part in salvation. And then we see that there's man's part in salvation. This is what we've said. We, we've talked about this uh, many, many times. We've simply said that there is the sovereignty of God. And then there's the free will of man. And those come together. And to divorce one from the other is to not agree with what Scripture says. And that's what Arminianism and Calvinism has done, especially hyper-Calvinism. Hyper-Calvinists have come and approached this text and said, look, right here it is, and I'll show it to you here in just a minute. Man has zero responsibility in regards to salvation. 
And they use this as a proof text. And then you got the Armenians who use this as a proof text and say, no, this is all 100% man. God has no responsibility in regards to salvation. And that's not true either. You see, I said last week in regards to this issue of interpretation, we follow one of two forms of interpretation. We either follow a historical, grammatical form of interpretation or what we call the literal form of interpretation. Or we follow after what's called the allegorical form of interpretation. And the allegorical form of interpretation carries the idea of taking a text and removing it out of its context and making it a proof text to prove a principle that we believe, we become the final authority if we allegorize Scripture. Uh, we also call it spiritualizing. I saw a <clears throat> beautiful illustration of this uh, online uh, this week, and I can't remember who did it. I, I, wish I, was, I wish I took a picture of it and put it on the screens and show it to you because it, it just absolutely is the best illustration of um, allegorizing Scripture that I had ever uh, looked at. And it just simply said this. It says, I don't understand why we are cutting carbs uh, as Christians today. The Bible says Jesus is the bread of life. And if Jesus is the bread of life, bread has carbs, Jesus wants us to eat him, therefore Jesus wants us to eat carbs, therefore we need to eat more bread. That is the best I have ever seen of allegorizing or spiritualizing Scripture. You know as well as I do, that's not what Scripture says. And it was intended to be facetious. It was intended to be funny. And, and it is funny. <clears throat> but when it comes to allegorizing Scripture, it's really not a funny matter. Because if you allegorize or spiritualize Scripture and, does, and you don't keep it in its context, then you'll make a fatal error. And it could hurt you. Even, it could even cause you to have the wrong belief system and be one of those individuals that stand before God and say, and say well, Lord, did, did we not go to church every week? Did we not hear every week? Did we not do great and mighty things? Did we not do many wonderful things in your name? And Jesus said, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. How does that happen? Because we throw doctrine in the trash and we don't hold to what God's Word says. Hey. So you have these two, these two institutions in regards to doctrine, especially in, con in concerning soteriology, the doctrine or the teachings of salvation. And one says, in hyper-Calvinism in particular, says that man has zero responsibility in regards to salvation. God knows who's going to be saved, who's not going to be saved. There's no responsibility on man, and so there's absolutely nothing there. Don't do anything. Those that will be saved will be saved. Those that won't be saved won't be saved and go to hell. Then you've got the Arminians that say, no, that man has 100% responsibility in regards to uh, coming to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord, and there is no other thing given. Uh, God has no activity in regards to their salvation. Well, that's not true either. So what is true? We find it here in this text, and I want to show it to you this morning. I hope that it will be an encouragement to you because the Bible clearly sets forth uh, both the divine and human responsibilities of mankind and and the sovereignty of God in relationship to salvation. So this morning, I just want to give you two points, two thoughts. I hope it'll be an encouragement to you in regards to teaching this particular important doctrine. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice in Scripture is man's responsibility. I want you to notice man's responsibility. We come to verse number 45, and all the way down to verse number 49, let's read the whole thing for context, then I want to point out verse 46 in particular. The Bible says this, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. 
Now remember what happened here parenthetically. Paul and Barnabas had been sent from the church at Antioch in Jerusalem to the church in Poseidon, Antioch. And they came, they went into the synagogue and they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. As they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, Gentiles got saved. They trusted Christ. They made a connection with God. They trusted Jesus as the Savior. They're leaving that day, and they're pulling on Paul and Barnabas, these Gentiles, and they're saying, tell us more. We want to hear this again. Come back next week and preach the same message. What do we need to do to continue in this faith? And, and, and Paul just simply says to them, says, continue in the faith. Just continue studying the scriptures, continue following after Jesus, continue following what, what, the, what Jesus had taught us. We'll be back next week. So they did that. And as they did that, the Bible tells us that the next week, the whole, just about the whole city showed up at church. And Paul and Barnabas preached again. And after they preached this time, verse number 45 says that they saw the multitudes, and the multitudes, the Jews, were filled with jealousy. They can't believe everybody's come out to hear the preaching of the Word of God. This is absolutely incredible, and they're jealous over it. Nobody comes out and listens to the preaching of the law of Moses like this. The Bible says, And he spoke, they spoke against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming him. And Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the Word of God should first have come to you, uh, spoken to you, but seeing that you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be uh, for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, and they glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all of the region. In this section of Scripture, we see the responsibility of man, and we also see the sovereignty of God. When you look, first of all, at man's responsibility, you see it in verse number 46. The responsibility of man boils down to what you do with Jesus Christ. In this text, we see that there are only two things you can do with Jesus Christ. Number one, the first thing we see is you can reject him. Did you see what happened in verse number 46? Again, the Bible tells us in verse 46 that the Jews rejected Jesus Christ. The scripture puts it this way in the latter part of the verse. But seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. In this text, we see very clearly and very plainly the responsibility of man in regards to salvation. The first thing we see is you can reject Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. In verse number 46, the first thing he says is that you have put it from you. Do you see it there in the text? I would highlight it if you've got a highlighter. Or I would put an asterisk by it or underline it. I would do something to identify this phrase is important. Because this phrase shows an action from these lost Jews as they physically reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The term, you put it from you, means to shove aside. It means to push away. And literally in the Greek, it's being used twice. 
This one word is being used two times that says you've shoved Jesus away. You've shoved him away. It would be similar to what we would do to our children if we tell them to clean their room. Only to go in two hours after we gave them instruction and find they still hadn't cleaned their room. We might say something like this. I told you to clean your room. You disobeyed me. You disobeyed me. That's what we're finding here in the text. Paul simply says, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, as Luke records this for us, he says, you've shoved Jesus away. You shoved him away. As a matter of fact, Matthew Henry had something to say about this. He said this. He said, and I quote, when they say you will not accept it, no, you will not so much as bear the offer of it, but you take it as a front to you. If, if men put the gospel from them away, if they pushed it away, godly just will justly take it from them. Why should manna be given to those who loathe it and call it light bread? Or the privileges of the gospel be forced on those that put them away and say, we have no part in David, end of quote. Matthew Henry simply says that they did the rejecting. They're the ones that refused Jesus Christ. They shoved it out of the way. They did not want to receive it within themselves. They had a personal responsibility, and that responsibility proved to be rejecting Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord. Paul points to the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19, as we looked at last week, when he described lost church members as individuals who have made shipwreck of their faith. How did they make shipwreck of their faith? Did they lose their salvation? No. The point is, they never had salvation. They rejected the truth of Jesus Christ and believed their own way and did their own thing. These Jews in particular did not only did they shove Jesus out of the way, the text also says, notice what the Bible says, verse 46, and you judged yourself unworthy of everlasting life. He said, not only did you shove Jesus out of the way in a personal responsibility, but then you also judged yourself. That word judge there means to distinguish or to make a decision mentally, but exercise it judicially. You physically, mentally rejected it, rejected Jesus, then you turned your back on him, implying, if you would, that they condemned themselves to hell. They punished themselves. They took a vengeance within themselves to say, I'll show you, push Jesus aside. We reject the whole premise of the death, burial, and resurrection, even though he was born of a virgin, which was a fulfillment of Scripture. Even though he lived a sinless life, which was a fulfillment of Scripture. Even though he hung on Calvary's cross, which was a fulfillment of Scripture. They rejected even the resurrection, which too was a fulfillment of Scripture. The personal responsibility of the Jews, which should have known that Jesus is the Messiah, was rejection upon him, and they judged themselves and called into question their own belief system and said, we want to get to God our way. You cannot get to God your way. You will only get to God the way of Jesus. Uh, we find here that in this regard to judging themselves, Matthew Henry once again said this, and I quote, he said, here's the meaning. You discover or make it appear that you were not met 
for eternal life. You throw away all your claims and give up your pretensions to it. Since you will not take it from his hands, whose hand the Father has given it as a free gift, you judge yourself, you do, in effect, pass this judgment upon yourselves, and out of your own mouth you judged yourself, you will not have it by Jesus Christ, by whom alone it is to be had. And so you call your doom be, you shall shall not have it at all, end of quote. Uh, we find Matthew Henry simply says, in regards to salvation, you have, in fact, exercised a position of what you're going to do with Jesus Christ as he has handed it to you. You have shoved it out of the way and have rejected it, and you say you do not want any part of it. In the clear meaning of the passage, we see that individuals go to hell because they do not believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Their unbelief is what sends them to hell. Individuals will often say, I just don't understand why God can be called a loving God. How can it be called a, a loving Savior yet willfully send people to hell? Do you not understand? The Bible says, according to this passage of Scripture, they judge themselves. God does not send anybody to hell. We send ourselves to hell by rejecting the truth of the Word of God and not receiving Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. We find this in the passage of Scripture of John 3.18 that the Bible says this, He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is a clear passage of Scripture on rejection. You have a responsibility. You can either receive Jesus Christ or you can reject Jesus Christ. These Jews rejected Jesus. And as they rejected Jesus, they condemned themselves to hell. People perish because they choose to reject and refuse to believe. Their, this choice shuts them out of eternal life. Jesus said to unbelieving Jews in John chapter 5 in verse number 40, he said this, But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Did you hear the language of Jesus? He used in effect the will of man. He said you personally are not willing, maliciously, to come to Jesus Christ to know him as Savior. Why? Because you're pride-filled and you want to come to heaven and go to heaven and come to God your way. It will not be done. Individuals say, you know what? That is such a narrow form of preaching. Could I just say this, brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, and those that are searching and might even have that same philosophy within yourself. The Bible is a very narrow book. Salvation is a very narrow way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I only want to be as narrow as the Word of God says. And if the Bible says coming to Jesus Christ is narrow, that means you cannot come to Christ. You cannot get to heaven through Buddhism, through Islam, through believing in Krishna. You can't get to heaven through Mormonism, through Roman Catholicism. Even by being a good Baptist, the only way to get to heaven is to come by Jesus Christ. Later in John chapter, uh, verse number 8, verse 24, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said this, Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe, 
I am he. You will die in your sins. Please listen to this final thought concerning rejecting Jesus Christ. Damnation is the result of rejection and unbelief for which each faithless unbeliever is utterly responsible. Uh, people have asked this question today. They have said, tell me, preacher, how does a person judge themselves in the 21st century? We find here in this text, in the first century, they judge themselves from a position of being unworthy. Should we not say that we're unworthy? Oh, we're very unworthy. That is very important. But the fact of the matter is, our unworthiness pushes us to Jesus Christ. For it is in Christ that we find true salvation. God did not make you a robot. As a matter of fact, the Bible says there in the book of, uh, of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the wisest man on the planet, said, God put eternity in your heart. And since God put eternity in your heart, there is this calling within us that, that longs to know the truth. And to know this truth and want to be a part of this truth is to come and to listen to this truth and accept this truth within our hearts, within who we are, and then or reject him for who he is. We find there that in regards to the 21st century, when people judge themselves, they do it in three ways. Let me give them to you. Number one, through just blatant rejection. I hear the gospel. I listen to the gospel. And I reject it. I don't have anything to do with it. I reject that. That's one way. You judge yourself. Number two, here's a second way. Through delaying. Delaying. You ever had a flight delay? Boy, that'll bless your heart. Uh, waiting on to get somewhere and the flight's delayed. Uh, we had a delayed flight when I was in Indonesia. Uh, I, I mean, we were stuck for like six hours. And uh, thinking about that delay, everybody was inquiring, you know, what's the problem? Why can't we get on the plane? It's sitting right out there. What's the deal? What's the deal? And all these people are all around working on the airplane. And uh, uh, finally, they come over the screen. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the reason why we're not boarding yet is uh, uh, from its last destination to here, the plane was struck by lightning and it fried the instrument system. And we're just repairing it before you get on. I'm like, well, we'll stay here as long as we need to, as long as we need to. I'm fine with the delay. Uh, I'll be over here in the corner asleep, you know. And so we want it fixed. We want it done right. That's one, one way of uh, delaying being appropriate. I'll tell you, though, delaying when it's inappropriate is when you delay coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And there have been many individuals that have delayed, delayed. They've waited many, many years as the Holy Spirit is drawing them through long-suffering and being very patient with them, and they delay. Some delay to the point where they die in their sins and they go to hell. And then here's a third way we judge ourselves, through neglecting salvation, just flat-out neglecting it. Uh, we don't believe it to be so important that demands our attention at this stage of our lives. We enjoy sowing wild oats is what the culture says. There's a lot of wild oat sowing going on in our culture today. And through that cultivation, we are neglecting salvation. We are saying that it's not important. And what's bad about this is you could die in your sins and bust hell wide open. We see man's responsibility regarding salvation, number one, is rejection. Rejection. The Jews rejected Jesus Christ. Number two, here's a second, uh, uh, if you would, a second um, responsibility of man. Acceptance. Acceptance. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 48. 
Verse number 48, the Bible says this. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. And they glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And I want you to underline that word, belief. Or believed. Believed. They accepted God's salvation that he had provided for them. So when we look at this, we have to ask ourselves the question, how did they come to know Jesus Christ as Savior? If they accepted Jesus, what does that look like? Uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 17 gives us a very clear picture of what it looks like to receive Jesus Christ or to accept Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord. As a matter of fact, let's take our Bibles if we could. It's, it's important enough to stop for a moment and turn. Let's find Acts, chapter, excuse me, Romans chapter number 10, and let's pick up in verse number 8. Romans chapter 10, verse 8, Paul is speaking here, and this is what he says in Romans chapter 10, beginning verse 8. He says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here Paul gives us a very clear insight into what it looks like from a responsibility perspective concerning salvation for us to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. He uses the term believe. Believe, believe, believe. Belief cannot be separated from another term, and that term is repentance. We must repent and believe by faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. No one was ever forgiven and made a child of God who did not willingly turn from their sins and turn to Jesus Christ. Nowhere does the Bible even hint that a man can be saved without repentance and faith. But the, to the contrary, the Word of God always states that these things are essential in regards to being saved. And this essential system is based on the word believe. When you believe on Jesus Christ, you repent of your sins and you trust Christ by faith. Time and time and time again, we see it in Scripture like in John chapter 3 verse 16 that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 6, 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Acts 16, 31. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. John chapter 5, verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death 
to life. Romans 10, 9 again. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son of Man hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son of Man shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John 8, 24. I say unto thee, unto you, you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Time after time after time after time after time, again and again, the Bible says, you must believe. And that believe, believe is in a form in the form of repenting of your sins and trusting Christ as Savior. But a man must not only believe. He's got to believe by faith. In order to be saved, you've got to believe by faith. And that is in the form of receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. In order to be saved, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and, 8 and 9, the Bible says this. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. A lot of people say, well, you know what? If you believe, that is a form of works. No, it's not. That belief system is not a head knowledge, it's a heart knowledge. You see, what we're trying to do is make sense in our... We're trying to make sense in our heart what we believe in our head. And the, one of the most beautiful illustrations I've ever heard about this is what you're doing right now. You, you put your faith in that chair to hold your weight. But the only way you're going to know that that chair's going to hold your weight is you have to exercise by putting your weight in the chair. Brothers and sisters, the same is true when it comes to Jesus Christ. You have a responsibility to accept Jesus Christ or reject Jesus Christ. It's your option. God didn't make you to be a robot. He said there's this responsibility for you to come, and it is not a works-based salvation. It is a faith-based salvation. You see, repentance and faith are not vicarious, but they are free acts of mankind. It is an exercise of your own mind, heart, and will. You must renounce sin and you must receive Jesus Christ. Hey. I'm telling you today, God does not repent and believe for us. We are the ones that repent and believe. And every man who, who so responds to the gospel and calls upon God does so because he honestly desires under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that he receive Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. And we say this, we place our trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what the Bible teaches. And the Bible teaches it dogmatically. That man has a responsibility. These individuals today had a responsibility. And that responsibility that's found in Scripture was they had to believe. And you say, well, wait a minute, Shane. That, that word ordained in this passage of Scripture, it carries, if you would, the, uh, uh, the illustration to me that they were ordained first... And then they believed. How in the world do you reconcile that? Well, because you can't only have the responsibility of man. You also have to have God's sovereignty to come alongside. So you see the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Again, let me call your attention to verse number 48. The Bible says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad 
and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many were ordained to eternal life, believed. you got to remember, this is the second time Paul and Barnabas preached this passage of Scripture. And if you do not, or the second time they preached, Jesus is the only way. We cannot take the Bible out of its context. If we take it out of its context, we make it a pretext, and we can make it say whatever we want. I don't want this Scripture to say what I want it to say. I want the Scripture to say what it says in its context. And in the context, remember, the whole city come out, but there were some that were already saved. But the Bible says there were these that were ordained, and they believed. What does that mean? It means that God's sovereignty in respect to salvation is on three parts. What is God's business in regards to salvation? Number one, it is God's business to provide salvation. It's God's business to provide salvation. Look again at verse number 47. The Bible says, For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be set for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Paul is saying, you had the opportunity to come to Jesus Christ. God presented it to you first. It was for the whole world, but it was presented to you first. You rejected that, and we are now turning our attention to the Gentiles to show them that salvation is from God to all the world. From God to all the world. God's part in salvation is to provide it. It's God's business to provide. The word salvation here is a derivative of the term Savior. In regards to that, it is used as a noun here, and it means to rescue or to safely deliver someone morally and physically and deliver them to health. Today, there's a funeral Miss Marie Sharpton, a dear, sweet member of our church. Miss Rhonda Jackson, her daughter. They are burying Rhonda's sister, Marie Sharpton's daughter. She had diabetes. It was very difficult. She lost her sight. She had to have uh, go to dialysis. Very sick. She died with that sickness. But she was a Christian, which means that there was a point in her life where she heard the gospel message that came from God in regards to his sovereignty. God sovereignly presented or gave her Jesus Christ the Son, and she came alongside that inner conviction and received Jesus Christ as Savior. And that salvation that God had provided for her, listen to me, according to this passage of Scripture, this salvation has rescued her from her sickness and has delivered her into the realms of heaven where Jesus Christ our Savior is. But here's the thought that's even greater than that. As a human being, we are sin sick. We are on our way to death. The Bible says it's appointed a man wants to die. After that, the judgment. Through that appointment, God has provided salvation. That salvation comes through Jesus Christ, John 3, 16. And we have the responsibility to either reject or receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord that God, through His great sovereignty, provided before the foundations of the world. We find it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, but we find it here in the text that this salvation 
has been provided by God. It's God's business to provide salvation. Number two, the second thing we see here, that it's also God's business to secure our salvation. To secure our salvation. Again, I call your attention to verse 48. In verse number 48, we see this term, ordained. I want to deal with that today in its context. We've got to keep it in its context in order in context in order for it to make sense. If we remove it from its context, like Calvinists do, then we make it a pretext and we become the final authority on it because this is not a proof text for unconditional election. This is a solid contextual proof that there is the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And there's this responsibility and to divorce these is to be in a theological mess. We find, first of all, let me just mention a couple of things in regards to this issue of salvation, some facts about God's part in salvation. The Bible unhesitatedly affirms that in salvation, listen to me, man does not choose God, but God chooses man. Listen to what the Bible says in John six sixty-five. That no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. So wait a minute, I thought we had a responsibility to come to Jesus Christ. We do. Well, doesn't the Bible say here in this passage of Scripture that, that man doesn't choose God? God chooses, chose man. Yeah, God chose man to give us a Savior. Number two, listen to this fact. Paul described Christians in Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. He said this, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness and long-suffering. We are called the elect of God. The Bible says Christians are elect. Paul also described Christians in Colossians 3.12 as this. He said, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy uh, and, and uh, beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness, meekness of mind, and long-suffering. He calls us to be humble in our election. To the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, he says this, But we are bound to give thanks always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Does God know who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved? Yes. Does he preordain or predestined for them to be saved? Not according to the Word of God. Because we're about to see it here. But I want you to follow this now. Think about this just for a minute. Because I, I don't want to lose you on this part. If it is true that God predestined and foreordains for mankind to be saved and to be lost, what that means is God's love looks like this. I love you, but I hate you. I love you, but I hate you. I love you, but I hate you. Now, let me ask you this question. Look, I'm asking you to put your thinking caps on today. I know. So, man, preacher preaching doctrinally today. I know it's tough. It's hard. But is it the nature of God to say, I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you? Does that line up with God's nature? No, it doesn't. Since it does not line up with God's nature, and we can identify a passage of Scripture that says what God's nature is, 
then wouldn't it reason that the context of the Word of God would line up with what the nature of God really is? I give you John 3.16. For God so loved the what? World. Hold on to that. Because that word world is where we get our English word cosmos. It deals with everybody that's alive. Dead or be or born or everybody. Not born yet. Everybody in the world. God loved them so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, a couple of things about this. Number one, whosoever. Everybody in here is a whosoever. Everybody in here. You personally, and we've already dealt with it, that's your responsibility. You can receive Jesus or you can reject him. That's your personal responsibility. But he says this, whosoever receives Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life. That word perish is a present tense active verb, which means today, if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, if you have rejected him, if you've delayed in receiving Christ, if you've neglected Jesus Christ, then today you are perishing. That's why you can't get any peace. That's why you can't get any help. That's why you feel like your life's falling apart. You say, well, I've been in church all these years, and, and I just, look, right now, today, there are four preachers that have rejected their faith and have walked away walked away from their ministries, walked away from their church why does that happen? because they've never really got saved they believe some false doctrine out there to say well God knows he's going to be saved what's not and it's so easy to say well God must not have chosen me I'm out of here when the Bible clearly states whosoever will but you've got to come because God's already provided All right, so if that's true and the nature of God is to love the whole world, then how come this Bible says in this particular passage of Scripture that they were ordained? What does that mean? Well, first of all, let's identify the word ordained in the Greek. It's the word tasso, T-A-S-S-O. As a matter of fact, when you think about tasso, there are actually three words that are uh, translated as ordained. There's tasso. And then number two, there's the second one that is protasso. And then there's the third one, ditasso. We find it all through Scripture. In this particular case, the word tasso, and everyone agrees this word ordained, tasso means to draw up in order to arrange. So it means to Arrange something, to arrange. In this case, salvation, to arrange salvation. The other two words, protasso, it's used in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, where Paul told the Athenian philosophers that God determined the appointed time and boundaries of men's habitation. Uh, Jesus said it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. You are born, you live, and you die. That's what we call an absolute truth. Okay? We're living today and want relative truth. You can't make that relative. You're born, you live, you die. 
God said that. He arranged that. He preordained and put that in order. That's what this term protasso means. Uh, then number three, ditasso. Ditasso uh, is another word that's used in Acts chapter 24, verse 23, where Luke wrote to Felix giving the order to the centurion to keep Paul in custody. And he said he wanted it done systematically in a certain way to prearrange it. I want you to do it this way. So when you come to Acts chapter 13, verse 48, you see the word tasso to arrange has nothing to do with a pre-ordination, if you would, or a pre-arrangement or a, thought, a thoughtful, thorough arrangement of some time in the future or in the past to line it up. It has nothing to do with that. Instead, it indicates that those who believe were lined up and arranged to do so. So what are you saying, Pastor? What I'm saying is Calvinists have this tendency, if you would, to conclude that God is the one that calls these individuals to line up, that these individuals had nothing to do, no personal responsibility. They were just like robots, and they lined up under God's salvation. That's not what the text says. Why? Remember last week, last week I was talking about interpretation. You either go with the literal form or the spiritual form of interpretation. Here is a great example of that. When you take the literal form of interpretation, you've got to apply the proper grammatical elements to the text. When you look at this passage of Scripture, you cannot, you cannot ignore the fact that Luke uses this term tasso in the middle voice. Why is that important? Because the middle voice, especially concerning a verb, means that the subject is the one taking the action. What's the subject in this verse? Look at it again. I call your attention to verse number 48. The Bible says, As many as were ordained to eternal life. The ones that are receiving the, 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 the action is as many as. That's individuals, not God. So those individuals, as many of them as they were, and there were a bunch of them, as many as they were, lined themselves up under the teachings of the sovereignty of God. They took, uh, they took their own responsibility, David, by their own volition, by their own will. They responded to the call of God, and they got saved. It has nothing to do with God prearranging or foreordaining people to be saved. God's love is not, I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you. God's word, his nature is, I love everybody, and whosoever wants it can come get it. So Acts chapter 13, verse 48, shows that this ordination is modifying as many as. In other words, as many who believed lined themselves up or arranged themselves for eternal life. Did they provide the eternal life? No, that's the sovereignty of God. God's sovereignty provided it. They just worked in conjunction with their own will and responded to it. Hey. So we find here in this passage of Scripture, God's sovereignty is to provide salvation. Number two, to secure salvation. And number three, verse 48, to maintain salvation. Let me show you what I'm talking about there. Verse 48, and I'm, my, my time is gone. The Bible says that they were ordained. They lined themselves up by believing. They lined themselves up into salvation. And this salvation, look at what the Bible calls it, eternal life. God provided it. 
God secured it. And by the way, let me say this, this security comes in the form that God wrote their name in the book of life. And so in writing their name in the book of life, this is why John so importantly said in 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. He just simply says here, you can know that you have eternal life in heaven by believing, that is, repenting of your sin, trusting Jesus Christ as the Messiah, and receiving Him as your Lord and Savior. By doing so, you have worked with the sovereignty of God, and God, who didn't make us robots but gave us a will, have a responsibility to come to man, or man, to come to God, and through that, through that, we see salvation is given so that you can with assurity, with absolute assurance, say that when I die, I'm going to heaven. If you were to ask me, Shane, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? I'd say, well, absolutely I know. So how do you know? Well, I know because there was a day when I was 14 years old, I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. I repented of my sin. And I received the free gift of salvation that was given to Jesus. I ordained, I ordained, I aligned myself up with my belief. And I got saved unto eternal life. Uh, John MacArthur, I think, really speaks some really good truth concerning this matter. Listen to what John MacArthur said concerning this, and I close. Scripture affirms that those who go to hell do so because they judge themselves unworthy of eternal life, verse 46. Conversely, the elect, the saved, are saved because God appointed them for eternal life. Those truths form a narrow causeway between two deep chasms to emphasize either truth at the expense of the other is to plunge oneself into the abyss of doctrinal error. End of quote. So, so John MacArthur, who I consider to be a very wise man, I don't agree with everything he says, but, but I do agree with him on this. When you look at the sovereignty of God, and you look at the free will of man, if you try to divorce them, and just emphasize the sovereignty of God, like hyper-Calvinists do, or you just emphasize the free will of man, like Arminians do, you fall into doctrinal error, which means you, your belief system does not line up with the Word of God. If we're going to keep the nature of God in His context, or in its context, the overarching theme of Scripture, and the overarching theme of Scripture is God is love, then that love is for all mankind. If that be true, and some men and women and children reject Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord, and some accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you cannot negate the sovereignty of God and the free responsibility of man. It is in Scripture, and you cannot deny it. Is there the sovereignty of God? Yes. Is there the free will of man? Yes. You have to put them together in order to get a proper biblical, biblical salvation. To do so any other way is erroneous. Now I want to ask you this question. If that's true, 
then that means that if you are going to heaven because you were, you think you're going to heaven because you were baptized, you're in error. That's right. If you think you're going to heaven because you're a member of a Baptist church, you're in error. Hey. If you think that you're going to heaven because God just chose you 100%, you, listen, you better check it, dear brother, because unless there's a change in your life, you're not truly saved. Hey. Not truly saved. I remember I read a story about Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I'm out of time. I've got to finish up, David. I read a story about Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He loved to smoke cigars. Loved it. I mean, that just was his thing. He's a cigar-smoking machine. You know, he'd be out there, preach a sermon, go out there and light up under the oak tree and thought, man, that's a good sermon. <coughs> he had a church member come to him one time and say, uh, Preacher, said, that, that uh, smoking that cigar... It's a stumbling block to me because I love that more than I love Jesus. And Spurgeon got to think about that, and he didn't like it. It went contrary to his enjoyment. Now, was that smoking that cigar going to send him to hell? No. But it was causing other people to stumble and call him a hypocrite. So Spurgeon laid down the smoking of his cigars. Because he wanted to make sure that people clearly understood that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And he didn't want anybody tripping up coming to Jesus by his vice. He was convicted and he changed in his heart. Listen to me very carefully. Do you want to know if you're truly saved, if you're truly born again, if you truly came to Jesus? Here, here's the difference. Did you change? Did you change? Spurgeon changed. He changed. And that change gave us one of, they call him the Prince of Preachers, a man that loved God and preached the Word of God and stayed true to what the Scripture says. That's my heart's desire as well, is to stay true to what the Scripture says. So I'm not here to make, look, you may hold to a Calvinistic, I'm not here to upset you. And if you are upset, the only thing I'd ask is just search what I said. Look at what the Bible says. Line up with that. That's all I'm asking. You got a problem with it, take it up with the Lord. I'm just, look, I'm just the messenger. This is what the scripture said. But if you're here today and you say, you know what? If I were to die today, I'd split hell wide open. I've never come to Jesus. I got good news for you. Today is the day of your salvation. Like those Gentiles, you can be glad today. All you got to do is come to Jesus. Say, how would I do that? Romans 10, 9, and 10. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart. Receive Jesus, accept him today, and stop rejecting him. Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here today, and maybe you've never trusted Christ as Savior, and you want to do that today. And then from your heart to God's heart, would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And today I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sin. And I trust you as my Savior. In faith, I receive Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. 
You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again, we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.